Welcome back to the Maui Noko Oi podcast presented by Silver Shark Media. I'm Jason Evans of Silver Shark Media. And as always, we thank you for tuning in today and encourage you to subscribe and download to the podcast series. I'd like to welcome our next guest, Ed Lyman, Regional Large Whale Entanglement Response Coordinator under NOAA's Marine Mammal Health and Stranding Response Program. So, Ed, welcome back to our podcast. Thanks, Jason, and aloha to everyone. Aloha to you as well. And uh, that's a lengthy title, Ed. So maybe we can deconstruct it a little bit to start off for people who may see the the NOAA acronym out there, but don't always really know what that means. Can you just give us a generic overview of what NOAA does? Gotcha. Well, if I if we go to the big umbrella of NOAA, I mean, it's everything from weather, the satellites and everything. But in this case, it's more or less under NOAA fisheries and, and NOAA Office of National Marine Sanctuaries. On the no fishery side, they have a, a national program. It's called, and that's with that acronym, that Marine Mammal Health and Stranding Response Program. A national program that covers the response of many of our marine mammals, most of them. And uh, I'm under that in one aspect, one threat, and that's the large whale entanglement threat. And because I have some specialty there, some experience, they've tasked me with coordinating the effort and the data that goes along with it, the science along with it, in one particular region that is around the Hawaiian Islands. And so what does sort of your day-to-day role entail here on Maui? And and during what parts of the year? Because we obviously have a humpback uh, whale season and, and a time when they're not here. Gotcha, Jason. Okay, so this time of year, since it's now, you know, we're, we're in the whale season, we call it in short, but humpback whale season, it is their principal breeding and calving grounds for the North Pacific humpback whales here around the Hawaiian Islands. So one part of my role would be get out there and um, we help monitor that. The Hawaiian Islands Humpback Whale National Marine Sanctuary helps monitor that population and that habitat that's so critical to the animals that, uh, for this time of year. And that time of year being, it'll start November, we're prepping and, and starting to get out there. Um, December, you know, more and more humpback whales start to show up. January, February, March, Peak months, uh, we get into April, May, it starts to diminish. And then you're starting to, you know, whereas you're this time of year, I'm getting out there one to two days of the week to monitor, maybe one day towards response. Maybe someone's called in a, a whale that's been hit by a boat or a whale that's been entangled in gear. We'll go out and either document, assess, or in the case of entanglement, try to cut them free. Um, and otherwise, it's a little bit of education outreach, um, it's report writing. You know, the, you're analyzing the data. A lot of what we do, you know, I just mentioned cutting a whale free. Um, that's valuable. But it's really the information we gain from the whole effort, you know, answering the questions of who, where, when, why, now, so we can figure out what's going on and get ahead of that curve. And so a lot of science. And then, you know, the whales are going to start leaving these waters, you know. They're already starting to leave, actually. So, But by April, May, very few. And then I'll migrate with the whales. I get loaned out to NOAA fisheries up in Alaska and do a lot of the same stuff. Go up there, lend a hand on the response, do some of the science, help out with outreach and education, you know, make people aware and promote stewardship. And then you get into September, October, the cycle's sort of, you know, coming around where you're starting to prep for the next season here in Hawaii. So that's kind of in a nutshell, that's my role here um, with, again, with, I'm Beckwell Sanctuary as well as no fisheries. You migrate as well. You migrate with them as well. I migrate. I catch up to them. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't get to migrate with them. And I get the, get the nice uh, plane ride. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, late last week, um, we mm-hmm. kind of saw some direct reports of what you do uh, with where we had an injured humpback whale calf that was spotted in Malaya. Exactly. Uh, so can, can you walk us through how you first learned that there appeared to have been an incident and then the steps in this particular situation that you took to assess the situation? Understood. Yeah, uh, as is very typical for a lot of our cases, I mean, we go out and monitor the animals, but I mean, just one day in the water now and then every, you know, once a week, we don't find many of the animals that are in distress. In this case, it's usually the tour boat operators or the fishermen or the other researchers, you know, it's, it's strength in numbers. Mm-hmm. And that was the case Thursday, or sorry, Friday morning. Um, one of the boat operators called in and said, we have a, you know, we have a mother calf right outside the harbor, that spot. Um, and the calf has some indications that it's been likely, we're not 100% sure on this, but likely been, had been hit by a boat. There was a, you know, rough skin and you know, whales have whale lice on them and it had lots of whale lice indications that of a distressed animal, compromised whale. Uh, had a, a notch wound on the tail sock, and the whale's behavior was such a calf. By the way, it was the one showing these indications. Um, it was favoring its tail region. It wasn't. It was. It was able to use it. We saw it using it, but um, it was hanging down, acting as if it was had been injured. And what we did is, I, I our boat was out for another mission. I wasn't on board. I called them back, asked them to do some documentation and assessment. Um, I asked another uh, organization, Pacific Whale Foundation. I knew that they have a good pilot on board and had the credentials. And since it was close to the harbor, it was an easy flight out from the harbor. So aerial footage, um, drone footage of the animal. And in the cases of something like a ship strike, that type of injury, um, really all we can do is assess and document and use that information to help other whales in the future. That's what we did. Then, of course, put notifications out there to the community to beware of this animal. Uh, since it was peak, uh, peak season and middle of the season, we used it as an, uh, an opportunity to remind everyone out in the water, all the ocean users, uh, the own water community, that, hey, we have to share the environment with these animals and, and this kind of thing can happen um, and we just have to be careful. How important of a role is science communication for you in these situations because you can gather all the the data but how important is that next step of getting it out to the community so that they're aware of what you're finding Mm -hmm. getting it out to as you said boat operators people who are in the water to either be on the lookout signs to to look for in situations or to just simply be careful where what kind of role does communication have in in your job huge it really is and, and jason you're mentioning the, the all water community and it's i'm glad you did that because you know here we are i was just mentioning the fact that any of us on the water may pose an impact to the animals we have to be careful you have that guliano we have to share that environment with them but at the same time that community has been great at being first responders and helping us report on you know they, they're the ones that typically find the animal and do the initial first response, do the initial risk assessment. And if we're going to respond, stand by the animal until we get there. Even a whale becomes a big needle in a, in a very big haystack. So I want to, you know, if you're building a network like that, you want to share information with that team, with your team. And so part of it is doing just that, sharing the information as appropriate, 
with the team. You're their part of the team. And then beyond that, it is, again, trying to mitigate that threat, that potential threat into the future. That's back to the reminder. And then there's the, the science behind it, too. And this goes into, like, it can be just a greater understanding of the threat itself, but and that takes us down towards the management side, like managers, and this is where no fisheries takes a primary role, need to have data um, to know what to do, how to manage. And a lot of times it's managing the human side. Uh, we can't do much about the animal side, so it's the human side. And, and I'll give you an example. Um, so we've taken some of the science recently, and this we is going to be a big we. It's going to be a number of organizations like the Whale Foundation, um, the Hawaiian Islands Humpback Whale National Sanctuary and, and the state of Hawaii Department of Land and Natural Resources. And we've looked at the data and given guidance to all of us, to the all water communities that represents speed guidance. Now for years, I've been saying, go slower during whale season. You know, you'll be better off going slower. And everyone's been asking me like, well, how, how slow is that? What's a whale safe speed? Well, that guidance now is 15 knots. That's just, I wanted to get that out there because it's something fairly new. It's, it's something just in the last year or so that we've established an actual value that everyone wanted, you know, and then this is, we worked with community on this too. Um, but, and there's some uh, caveats there. It's, it's 15 knots or less or safe planing speed, you know, or otherwise, you know, speed for safety. And of course, if the Coast Guard's going out to, uh, for a search and rescue, you know, that obviously we're not going to say go 15 knots or so. We get out there and, and save human lives, things like that. But again, some guidance, not a speed limit, but guidance. That's a good example. How, how close do the humpbacks come in to shore? Because anyone who lives here knows that they, mm. they come in quite close. But um, as boat operators go in and out of, you know, high traffic areas like Maalaya, uh, and it becomes a little bit more yeah. congested with boats versus, say, other areas offshore how, how close will they come in yeah i mean in the case of friday morning that mother and calf was just right outside the harbor just off the you know kind of a the shipping lane so to speak you know the traffic lane there going into the harbor uh, so they'll come in close and, and i don't know exactly what depth is but i've had to guess probably just like 20 25 feet deep yeah, yeah, yeah. and i've seen mothers being like 12 feet deep i mean it, bellies must be just about rubbing. So some of them do come in close. Um, Malaya Bay here that I'm, the, the sanctuary headquarters is in Kia and I'm looking out on it here on the leeward side of Maui. It's generally, you know, like, I don't know, 80 to 150 feet deep. And so it's not that deep when you think about it for a whale. And mothers and calves really like that shallow water, that shoal water in general, but they tend to come in here in this Malaya Bay are very protected waters. I think they like the shallow water uh, for various reasons. If you mentioned the the partnership with the tour boat operators, if private mm -hmm. boaters or people on kayaks, maybe they're going out deep to fish, uh, or people on stand up paddle boards, um, if if folks like that spot what they think is a whale that has either been injured or could be having an issue with fishing debris, as you mentioned, entanglement is, mm -hmm. is always a big thing. Um, what should they do? Ah, uh, one. I mean, highly do not recommend, and there will be actually against the law, but do not engage the animal. I mean, it may be well-intentioned, well-meaning and everything, but I can tell you that in most cases it, it, it does not go well for the animal and can go bad for the well-intentioned 
we're spotted, I'll put it that way. Yeah. You know, again, well-intentioned, that uh, does not go well. So instead of doing that, um, you know, keep your distance, the 100-yard rule would still apply. And that's just, I know that's the legal aspect, that's a rule, of buffer zone around the animals. It's just prudent, uh, just in that sense. So maintain that distance. And the best thing you can do, really, is make the phone call or call in the, well, let me give you the, the hotline number first. We'll give the audience the hotline yeah. number, the NOAA Fisheries Wildlife Reporting Hotline number. And it's um, 888-256-9840. Uh, is, it's a toll-free number. Yep. Again, 256-9840. And we will put that in the podcast and, description for easy cool. reference as well. Okay. And it's it's one stop shopping that that you know if you had a monkey or a whale or a turtle or if it was a ship strike or it was entangled or you didn't know it was just all the signs of distress you know that that's the number to use here in Hawaii that's the regional hotline reporting number and then you know there's a, a tree in there building I don't remember partway down just dial five for entangled whale and then I'll get the, it'll ring right to me yeah and I'll call you right back and we'll work together. You know, again, if you're able, I, I'll typically be able to respond and it seems safe and all that, you know, conditions and everything warrant. Uh, I might ask you to monitor the whale, stay with it, because it might take me an hour and a half, two hours to get out there. Sure. And that's back to that point of the large meal and the very big haystack. We lose them. So uh, just we work as a team and it tends to work a lot better. We've got people that are trained and we over the years we've acquired the different equipment, the different knives that we've learned at work and and have and again the experience is big. You know, typically have a whale biologist, maybe a fisherman on the team, and together they kind of know the gear and the whales, right? It works out well. So, what are the biggest human impact threats to humpback whales while they're in Maui and Hawaii waters? Yeah, I mean, and I'll have to touch this with that. It may the threat itself may not reside locally, but they bring it with them, right? Because they migrate thousands of miles. So they may encounter that threat somewhere else and then they're just, sure. um, you know, seen here. Uh, so things like entanglement that we've mentioned, ship strikes. Uh, another, you know, a big one, well, more general is just um, habitat degradation. And yeah, that can include sound. Yeah, so boat traffic, there's too much of it, okay? Uh, you have too dense and too loud vessel. It, they can impact animals. They, they rely on sound quite a bit for communication at all. So, and then there's things like climate change. That's a big one. I know we talk about that a lot more recently, but, um, you know, the um, marine heat wave that struck the North Pacific along with the strong El Nino and other factors that warmed the North Pacific up substantially, really, and even the humpback whales. That they're, I mean, they're generalists. They're more of a generalist. They, they can have a broad menu, but even the humpback whales were impacted. So, so you, you've been on the water for, for this season, and you may not have all of the data compiled yet, but have you noticed, in your opinion, um, any trends or aspects that are different this year that you've observed versus previous years? Thank you, Jason. Yeah, you know, one big one that's leaping out at us uh, just, just a month or so ago we were out on the water we were off Lahaina and we looked around and said we're the only boat out here and that you know during whale season is not normal and that's basically because of the Lahaina wildfires over the summer um, impacting Lahaina Harbor and the boats and, and beyond just the loss of boats but 
the loss of some of the logistics, you know, the harbor was where the gas was obtained. And um, so it's just the onboard community has taken a hit. Um, and of course, we know, I just to acknowledge that line itself has, has been greatly impacted. And our hearts go out to everyone, but it transferred as well to the on-water community, that line of community. And I mentioned they were also our first responders in that community. It was a big part of it. And so we have fewer eyes on the water. And in that regard, that's been an impact on the monitoring of the animals. It's that's less help we've had um, finding entangled whales or whales in distress, the standby support that we got. Uh, we have less of that now this season. So that's been one difference uh, in the big picture. And again, our, our hearts go out to Lahaina and wish that community all the best. Otherwise, I think we're just, we're still considering how's that going to be safe here because yeah, yeah. We're, hey we're scientists you know we want to collect oh, more data before we say anything yep so i mean i've noticed that um here i've seen more mothers and calves in malaya bay area and in the recent years there hasn't been that many now i can go back six years ago seven years ago and it used to be pretty you know used to be a fair number of mothers and calves in malaya bay so using that as an example I'm seeing numbers similar to that as of seven or eight years ago, as well as eight, you know, a lot of times in this part of the season, you're just worrying about collecting and backing it up and you haven't had the time yet to analyze it. So I think we'll have to wait on that one to a little further along in the season or towards the end of the season uh, to go beyond. Well, if people want to get involved, um, not necessarily as a, a community spotter, if you will, but someone who directly wants to say, hey, this really intrigues me, either a marine biology student, either uh, a resident who just loves the ocean and wants to help in any way they can, uh, someone with experience with with animal rescue uh, or marine animal science. What ways can people get involved in uh, either supporting your team or helping your team if they want to, to get involved in that? Okay, yeah. Well, the first responder role is huge for us. It's again, large needles in a very large haystack. And I know we, I do, and some of the members of the team, we do, you know, trainings and outreach, and especially in the fall here, you know, in, in preparation for the season coming up. Uh, but, you know, we know <laughs> we can only do so many of those, right? And so I know we've, with the help of like organizations like the Nature Conservancy and NOAA Fisheries, uh, we've just made a kind of an online first course. You know, it's like 20 minutes. I would say take that. Um, but I can, we can provide the link, I think, right, sure. Jason, at yep. the end? Absolutely. You can put yeah. it in the description. Yep. yep. And, uh, but it's, it's like 20, 25 minutes long. It basically lays the foundation down to be the first responder. Like, what's the threat? What, what are the species in your area? What to look for? What information is needed to do that initial risk assessment? What helps us? Uh, and then that's a good foundation, but if, if you think you want to go further and then, then the process is slow, it's been very slow, but we've done a great job here in Hawaii as well as elsewhere is getting members of the community involved in the actual response effort. And it might be support roles like, you know, you're a great, you're a professional photographer or you're a drone operator and you got all your, all your certificates like part 107 because um, documentation is critical as part of assessment. And maybe you're someone that's just a great mariner, a boat captain for years, 
and you've been a whale watch captain, operator around the whales, you know whales really well. Some people might go further into being members of the actual disentanglement team. That's what we've done over the years. But I just, I definitely want to emphasize, it's not like, I know a lot of people want to do that. And yep. it's there's just so many opportunities, you know, not that many opportunities. And it takes a while. Yeah, it takes a while to get to that level. What about providing support in different ways? Say there's a, a boating company or a private boat operator that has excess gear that they're trying to get rid of. It could be buoys. It could be lines. Exactly. Um, what What are ways yep. that people can provide tools. support either with tools or even financial yep. donations? Yeah, there is. Yeah, exactly. There's donation of, and we've had people do this. It's great. It's so helpful. I mean, believe me, if I might be part of the, of the government. We were talking about NOAA there, but you know, it's not like we buy everything and we do rely on the community and donors, et cetera. So we've gotten equipment through, you know, things like, uh, like I said, lines and buoys and, and uh, various tools um, over the, over the years. And then even just direct financial, you know, where someone will, will provide a grant or funds that we can then go out and buy the equipment or maintain equipment. There's that side too. So all that's very um, valuable. Awesome. Well, uh, Ed, if people want to learn more about what you do in NOAA and the entanglement program, is there a website that's they can go to just to learn yeah. more about what you do? Yeah, if you go to the Hawaiian Islands Humpback Whale National Sanctuary website, there's a couple little uh, parts of the website, but the big one is under the menu protect. Uh, and there's sections there, web pages just entirely devoted to our large whale intent response efforts as well as some of our others. And of course, the research and the education are all part of that conservation effort that we do at the sanctuary. And there's um, probably some links to the, remember I said it's a national program. It's not just Hawaii here and the teams here, but there's teams in Alaska, East Coast, all working together. Okay, so um, under that, I would go to NOAA Fisheries Office of Protected Resources and, and look for their um, marine mammal health and stranding response program. I know it's a, a long one, but um, you'd probably put some keywords in and, and find it there in your search, but we need mammal health and stranding response program. Perfect. Well, Ed, as always, I thank you for informing our audience and our community here on Maui about the work that you do, the important work that you do, um, and for sharing your the insight into all that goes into it. So mahalo again for, for what you do. Jason, always a pleasure. Um, it's just a, it's one big team effort. Uh, and it's, it's just an honor to work with such a great team here in Hawaii. Uh, I think they do a great job. And again, it's, it's a, when it comes to response, it's just not just cutting wheels free, but gaining that information towards reducing the threat for, and not just for the animals, but for the, for others too. You know, no one wants to hit a whale. No one wants to entangle a whale. So it helps everyone across the board. Perfect. Cool stuff. Awesome. Well, th thank you so much, Ed. I really appreciate the time. Likewise, Jason. You take care.